This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello, I'm Michael Simmons, and this is Coffeehouse Scott. Today I'm joined by Katie Balls and Alex Massey. Now, for anyone who's listened to our first few episodes, whenever we have a new guest or a presenter on, we make them justify their Scottishness and earn their right for the place on Coffeehouse Scots. I feel a bit bad asking this of Alex because he is our Scotland editor, so it sort of goes without saying, but um, Alex, state your claim for a place on the podcast. Uh, Well, it's one of these unavoidable curses that's inflicted upon one at birth, frankly, isn't it? But, uh, you know, there's no point complaining about it. You just have to get on and deal with it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll, we'll, We'll take that as a pass. So there's been two big developments since we last did a podcast. And those are that, of course, yesterday the votes have opened. There's now two weeks of member voting. But also, um, in a surprise to some, John Swinney, the Deputy First Minister, has come out in support of Hamza and he's backed him as his candidate. Katie, do you think this is because the sort of Hamza campaign is worried? I think that's what lots of people are taking from this. I think the timing particularly of the endorsements just before the polls opened certainly upset the Kate Forbes campaign, saying, you know, this is inappropriate and trying to say this is desperate tactics. I think what's really tricky in this contest is there's not much polling on the SNP membership. Um, So we see plenty of polling on what the voters at large think and what SNP voters think. But as we all know, the membership can be a little bit different to that um it can veer in a certain direction and some of the other you know some of the people working for the other campaigns to so not homes Yousef's, um will say they think the SNP machine is keeping that information very tight but they will have a clearer idea of what's going on and therefore the fact that you're you're seeing uh, you know some of the old guard making these endorsements and trying to get behind Hamza's campaign and push for it further does suggest that they are a bit worried that things are tighter um, than they would like them to be. And Alex do you think that John Swinney's endorsement will make a difference? Well, I mean, John Swinney is the party man's party man, if you like. You know, his whole career has been dedicated to the SNP uh, and to seeking unity um, within the SNP, appreciating that the party's discipline and unity has been one of its great strengths over the last 15 years. And so, yes, I think his endorsement is, is telling for a number of reasons, some of which Katie's already alluded to. I think it does show a degree of concern amongst the party leadership that the race is closer than they would like it to be. And remember, you know, Hamza Youssef has the, the backing of a good 80% of SNP parliamentarians who have expressed a preference thus far. So he is very much the the, the choice of those who've been elected uh, to, to senior positions within the party. And yet there is a discrepancy between how he is viewed by his colleagues and how he is viewed by voters in the country at large um, who are not sold on his record or indeed his promise. And this, I think, must be concentrating minds within the the use of campaign. We are very much in the dark, of course, because we don't have um, any very much reliable polling from the party membership. The best guess is that around a third 
of party members still haven't necessarily made up their minds. So there is ample room for any of the candidates actually to, to win, even though Ash Regan clearly looks like being, uh, you know, the third placed candidate. And it's a, a struggle between Kate Forbes and Hamza Youssef. But Swinney, you know, knows absolutely everybody in the party, is extremely popular and respected within the party. So to the extent that any one endorsement could be said to, to help a candidate, you would think that, you know, Swinney and along with Nicola Sturgeon are the two people who could really sort of shift the dial in terms of persuading some uh, SNP members to, to support Hamza. But it is, as I say, uh, revealing that it has been felt necessary that he do this, because initially I think there were some expectations that while Sturgeon would certainly avoid making any overt uh, endorsement herself, so too would John Swinney, actually, that he would stay out of it. Um, so the fact that he's decided not to is itself revealing. Right. And yesterday, as well as the polls opening, we had the third of the televised leadership debates. And it seemed that for Kate Forbes, it was going back to um, questions of social conservatism. There was um, lots of questions about her stance on abortion and also gay conversion therapy. Katie, do you think that Kate's campaign has gone back to square one? Well, we could say it's gone back to square one, but it's still the case that even after what I think senior figures at The Spectator uh, thought might be the end of Kate Forbes's campaign in that first week. Um, she's still polling the best with the voters at large of, of any of the three candidates. So I think it's not something her campaign particularly enjoys when they get back to this. And you can see in lots of the interviews Kate Forbes has given, she's quite defensive, actually, um, are trying to, you know, avoid going down some of these rabbit holes. Um, and it's not what she wants to be talking about. She wants to talk about the economy. Um, but I wonder in a way, and I don't think this was, was I don't think this was a genius strategy from the Kate Forbes campaign because they got so much out in that first week. You could barely go on a news website with a different opinion of Kate Forbes on, you know, the, the morality of how we should all live, um, which, which she caveated as saying, you know, these are her religious beliefs, not which she would try to make policy. Um, I, I do wonder if, if, if having to talk about it again is going to have such a negative effect. I think it clearly reminds people who are a bit worried about her religious views and the effect that could have. It, it does remind them of their concerns rather than allowing them to think about different issues. So I think it's probably tricky in, in that sense. And I think there was some interesting polling earlier this week suggesting you know, there are some independence voters saying they are less likely to back independence if Kate Forbes is a leader. So I think you do have the situation where it's just for some, the progressive values that SNP are just not compatible with someone from the Wee Free. And Alex, do you think that the TV debate so far, um, including last night's, will have changed anything? It's difficult. Again, it's one of these things, I'm afraid, that it's very difficult to, to say because it's not clear how many of the people who have the opportunity to vote in this contest are actually watching them. Um, there's a, a BBC debate to come, which may have a higher viewership than, say, Sky News would have. And obviously a lot of this is being, uh, a lot of the campaign is being conducted online. And one of the dangers, I think, there is for, for journalists and uh, uh, indeed any observer and so on is to pay too much attention to what appears to be happening on Twitter, um, which is not representative of the general public and certainly not representative necessarily of the SNP membership. And so focusing too much on that can, can somewhat distort one's, one's views. You know, in the end, however, I think it does come down to the, the question of, you know, do SNP members think this is a moment for real change for the party? Uh, and it's not obvious to me that they do think that. 
remember most of them were uh, you know broadly pretty happy with how Nicola Sturgeon was was leading the SNP and the nationalist movement and so Kate Forbes call for for change obviously resonates with a lot of people who aren't necessarily natural SNP supporters themselves but it isn't so obvious that it will do so for an SNP membership that that doesn't necessarily see the the need for change in quite those terms and so Hamza Yusuf's uh, position as the the continuity candidate even if he dislikes being uh, described as such is a handicap uh, for the country at large but may well still be an advantage for the SNP membership but of course once you start talking about something during a leadership campaign a lot of these things are on the public record and this is then quite difficult to pivot away from that once you're leader I mean it can be done Keir Starmer has has obviously demonstrated to a certain extent that that what you say in a leadership campaign to win that campaign doesn't necessarily have to dictate how you will operate um, as leader but you know, it's again, it's not obvious that Hamza Yusuf necessarily has the political skills to make that kind of pivot. And on on that um, battle between change and continuity, Ben McPherson, who's the Scottish Government Minister for Local Government, wrote a piece at the weekend, um, essentially arguing that the SNP needed to recognise that independence would take decades to deliver, and essentially that they needed to take the foot off uh, take the foot off the gas. Do you think that he's just sort of one rebel voice or is that an opinion within the party that's going to gather of steam? It's not a popular opinion within the party, but it is a strain of SNP thinking, certainly, which accepts that, look, there isn't going to be a referendum in the next two or three years. And so we need to level with um, the public at large and also with our own supporters and our own members and tell them this. And, you know, this is one of the interesting aspects of this of this race is that you know both Hamza Yusuf and uh, Kate Forbes accept that there isn't going to be a referendum anytime and that independence is now a medium to long-term project not an imminent possibility but they can't quite come out and say so directly to a party membership that although more pragmatic on some of these things than than some of the caricatures of SNP members would have you believe nevertheless is fairly impatient for change and once independence, this is the creedal foundational issue for the party after all. And so you you have, you know, leadership candidates who know there isn't going to be a referendum anytime soon, who nevertheless have to sort of hold the carrot out in front of the membership that there might be. Uh, and this is some of the stuff that got Nicola Sturgeon into trouble eventually, you know, promising a major new push for independence every six months for six years, none of which actually have produced anything. And after a while, people begin to think, well, what's going on? Is there actually a plan here? And so, yes, you have people like Ben McPherson saying, well, look, you know, the, the, we, we, we've got a lot of work to do on questions of currency, border, the economy, EU membership and so on. And, you know, many of these things will be complicated and take a long time. I mean, this is one of the things where Brexit is is exemplary in certain respects, that leaving the EU is quite complicated. Leaving the, the United Kingdom is going to be even more complicated. Um, and so it will take time and requires patience. But that isn't necessarily what the party wants to hear right now. And so you have, say, you know, Hamza Yusuf saying, you know, of course, we need to build a consistent majority uh, support for independence, by which he means 55, 60 percent of people supporting independence in the opinion polls as measured over six to 12 months. 
But at the same time, he also says we need to go up into fifth gear. You know, we don't need we need to be accelerating. So you're t he's sort of sending mixed messages, um, which, you know, might be sufficient for getting through the leadership campaign, but is going to store up an awful lot of problems as and when he he wins. Um, and Kate Forbes would have some of the same uh, the same problems and the same dilemmas to wrestle with, I think. So not to do, not to promote another podcast on this podcast, um, but I sat down with Ash Reagan yesterday for Women of Balls, and it's quite interesting because she clearly wants to separate herself from Kate Forbes and him's use of it on this issue. Um, ultimately, sh she is the person saying we can get independence very quickly. Now, when you drill down, you say, "Well, explain to me exactly how we are going to get to that point." It, I think, becomes a little bit more complicated. You could say, but it it does have that. Um, that quite clearly water between her and the other candidates. And if you look at any poll, it does not feel as though she has much of a chance. But I think that she really thinks she can pick up some votes by just being the most hardline candidate on an issue, which is ultimately why the SNP exists. And Katie, to finish us off today, there was one moment of unity where essentially all the candidates agreed that their price for doing any deal with a future Labour government would be being granted a Section 30 order for a referendum. Do you think that's something Keir Starmer would ever be minded to do? I think he'd be incredibly reluctant to do it. And also Labour, because they know how, I think in 2015, this coalition of chaos, which of course would work less well now for various reasons, um, mainly the Tories, um, because ultimately they know how that did hurt them I think you've seen um, Keir Starmer very keen to try and kill the idea of that and obviously when you had Kezia Dugdale as Scottish Labour leader I think there was always a sense that you know she seemed to not have such a strong position on this as her you know counterparts in Westminster I think there seems to be more unity now and Keir Starmer will not want to go near it what happens if Labour are the largest party but they don't win a majority um, I think they're more like to try and do a deal with the Liberal Democrats. But ultimately, at that point, Labour really have unpalatable options because you've either got PR, which, yes, some in the Labour Party want, which um, Keir Starmer is not the position of the Labour leadership, or potentially a deal like this with the SNP. So you wonder, actually, if, if they would at that point decide the best thing to do is some kind of, you know, minority government where you just get the votes where you can and almost um, try and get these, uh, you know, other progressive liberal parties to play ball that way rather than say you know risk an election with the Tories yeah I, I would just just add I mean Katie's absolutely right I mean Labour would be would have lost their minds if, if they were to agree any kind of deal with the SNP their their response should be we don't need you you need us because you really want to force another election you know they, they should go down Michael Corleone's route in the Godfather and say to the SNP you know this is my offer to you my offer is nothing thanks Alex thanks Katie and thank you for listening and just to say, this is a new limited series podcast from The Spectator, and you can find Coffeehouse Scots on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Coffeehouse Scots.